0: Welcome to the Weekly Reboot, something a little different this week. Ed O'Shaughnessy and I were lucky enough to host a panel of luminaries at last conference Melbourne on Tuesday of this week. Ed is an agile coach currently working at ANZ in their big transformation and I've known Ed for quite a while and it's always great to co-host a session with Ed. It was also a great opportunity to have so much experience on our panel from such a diverse collection of speakers and those speakers were Jeanette Peterson from RMIT, Renee Troughton from BCG, Robin Elliott from the NBN, Mark Barber from Adaptivate, Penelope Barr, who has a new role now in Allen's Law Firm, and Tom Vasasky from REA Group. I'll put an extended bio for each of those and links in the show notes to, to give you a little more context if you're interested. We asked the panel to share with us their stories of bad things, ugly things and good things they have borne witness to and the things they've learned from their experience of scaling agile teams of teams to very, very large organisations. Such a long way we've come as a community to have gone through so many scaling adventures now and interesting to hear the breadth of what folks have learned in that time. Now, this was our first test recording of an episode of the Weekly Reboot Live, so it was kind of an experiment for us, but happy to say it recorded okay enough for us to want to give that another go. In terms of the audio, you'll hear some mixed qualities, and I've tried to edit up the volumes where I can. In terms of the insights and answers, though, they were top-notch, so I hope you enjoy listening along to our panel of experienced experts. First up, you're going to hear a bit of Tony accosting some unsuspecting audience members.
1: Hi there. <coughs> Who have I got here? Oh, look at that. There's Katrina and Jay. How are you going?
0: How are you going, Tony? Very
1: good. I think you might have actually had um, a part on one of the weekly reboots before, Jay. I certainly have. And um, how are you enjoying today at last? Uh, having a great day, mate.
0: It's good.
1: Always a good day at last. <laughs> yes, it is. Sorry, apparently they are sound checks in the background, but um, I'm sure we'll be fine. We going. It's funny, you bring a microphone on everyone to ground
2: you. just goes quiet. Except for you, Katrina. How are you?
3: Pretty good. That's good. My my brain is being expanding.
2: There we go. And That's um, here for yeah, us.
3: there's some there's some risk that grey matter will be splattered any moment because <laughs> it's been such an awesome day. Yes. Yeah. What's
1: your favourite so far?
3: Definitely Sue Good. Absolutely. It's all the crazy stuff about systems thinking, but in a real world context.
1: Oh, good. That's what we like. That's Sue from Car Sales.
4: <laughs> Thanks very much, Jane. No worries. Okay, good
1: afternoon everybody. Welcome to our panel, um, fantastic to see you all. Absolutely awesome that we've got this great uh, panel for you. Um, just a couple of things. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about the good, bad and the ugly, about scaling agility over the last 10 years, um, 10 years plus maybe. And our panelists are gonna share their, their experience, their insights, their knowledge about their um, Experience is all to do with that uh, challenge of scaling agility. I'd like also to welcome the listeners of the Weekly Reboot podcast. He's a listener, of a weekly reboot. Soon, yeah. soon to be a listener. Yeah. Sign up now. <laughs> um, we're recording this session, so um, if you don't want to be recorded, unfortunately, you'd have to leave. Um, sorry, no way around that. Um, <laughs> You can creep out on all fours, that's fine. Um, I'd like to hand over to um, Alex, the host of the Reboot podcast.
0: Hello, welcome to the Weekly Reboot, your regular Friday debrief for things heard and fancy and coming from the Agile community here in Melbourne and beyond. You've probably heard me say that before if you're a, a, a listener. So we have a wonderful panel of luminaries that we have bribed to be here and lay bare their souls as we kind of... Pick through their collective brains on the good, the bad, and the ugly of scaling agility and scaling agile ways of working. So I'm just going to get asked them all to introduce themselves. So basically, just um, for your convenience, uh, (laughs) name where they're working and where they're working at the moment, where they're scaling agile ways of working, or where they've worked in the past, um, where they've been doing that, and then we'll kick off with. We're going to start with the bad. Intros first.
5: Hi, I'm Jeanette Peterson. I am currently working at RMIT. I'm an innovations delivery manager, specifically working on delivering innovations that relate to fairly significant problems that we may have across the organisation. I've also worked at Red Cross Blood Services
6: and a heap of other organisations. Hey everyone, I'm Renee Trout and I work at BCG. I'm currently working with a client on a two or three thousand person transformation. Uh, have also done multiple bank transformations and many other industry ones as well. I've uh, in the Agile space for about 16 years. Hi there, I'm Robin Elliott um,
3: and I work for the National Broadband Network, the NBN. And um, the part of my job that I'm passionate about uh, uh, at the moment is how we're changing the enterprise level, the senior level of the organisation, so that it is more in tune and
4: more able to cope with the agile waste working. Fantastic. You go. My name's Mark Barber. I work for a consultancy startup called Adaptivate. Uh, at the moment I'm involved in a very large transformation and a very large mining organisation here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> experience over the years includes REA, MIOB, Auspost, you know the usual Melbourne uh, agile companies I guess.
2: Hi everyone, my name is Penelope Bahar. Um I've just left ANZ and moving to um, Allen's law firm to um, help them transform from an innovation and product development perspective. Um, I've worked at Census, um, a couple of not-for-profits, um, superpartners, and um, a couple of roles at ANZ in terms of transformation.
7: Uh, like last, my name's Tom Biasawski. I'm the Chief Engineer at REA Group, uh, famous for real estate at the Uh, pretty famous i think um melbourne startup story so looking forward to sharing some of the stories today
0: excellent thanks very much and so we're going to kick off first with the bad so this is going to be a game of three thirds um and the timer will go and then we'll swap into the ugly and the good just to kind of keep us on track and there will be opportunity we hope for you to ask questions as well so first of all if we have got to ask the panelists um some tales that they're willing to share about what are some of the bad things that they've witnessed, um, let's just say witnessed, um, uh, these <laughs> very scaling adventures that they've been on. Uh ladies, would you like to kick us off? So, I think one of the things we experience is
3: that, um, there's a bit of similarity between people and goldfish, and you have to say the same things again and again, because people have busy lives. And to start changing that mindset, you you have to have a lot of patience. And we've just moved, like many other companies, through the change of the financial year. And so the same people ask the same questions that they asked a year ago, because we do things differently now. And you have to be able to move on and say, explain with as much enthusiasm you did the first time, the hundredth time.
6: I think some of the challenges that I've seen, like scaling bad wise at the moment, um, there seems to be an ongoing trend towards this profession of agile coaching being more something that someone falls into after a few weeks uh, or barely any experience inside of agile. I think we've lost the craftsmanship of agile and we've lost the focus around what the intent is behind it, and it's led uh, certainly to an over commoditization but also um, not necessarily the outcomes that we would intended at the start of doing that job.
5: I think I've seen some quite interesting um, bad ones, but um, from, from a very interesting perspective is around <laughs> financing. So for some reason we go through a process and we decide to scale up, just because suddenly we got to the end of the financial year, we had a whole heap of money left over and we needed to spend it. So I think that's really very tricky because we d- I've seen on a number of occasions where we could have backed out, and um, we didn't. So I think that's particularly complicated, and I think we should have a lot better
4: at that. Mm. Oh. to you.
0: Uh,
4: I think for me, um, like an example of the bad over the last few years is associating agile transformation with um, Cost reduction or efficiency, you know, transformations, and um, you know, it, it kind of t- t- seems to follow in a lot of cases um, huge rounds of redundancies and things like that. And I, I'd like to see it separated from that. I think um, it, you know, we do need to cut costs in some in some places, and I think it's fair to say that's what we're doing. And then maybe that agile transformation is about making it better for the people. That are left behind rather than it all being intertwined, and suddenly agile coaches are part of this movement of getting rid of people, and people are becoming all kind of, um, I guess, you know, anxiety driven and things like that.
2: I think the bad, um, in my experience, is largely around the lack of alignment to vision <coughs> and strategy. So I just want to check does everyone, or do most people follow AFL football here? Mm-hmm. So recently I was talking to Paul Roos um, who you may know as a, a, was a very successful AFL coach and we were talking about OKRs and the impact of those and he was talking about how if you're in a football team and you're a coach um, the entire football team understands that they are there to, to win a grand final. It doesn't matter if you're ten years out or you're five years out or you're two years out or this is the year you're, you're winning every person in the team whether you're and the team is holistic whether you're washing the tea towels or you're the captain or you're the coach they are absolutely committed to winning that grand final and if we think about an organization strategy we have the organization strategy that starts at the top and then the it gets rolled down so then we have The interpretation from the technology area about what the organisation strategy means for them and then the marketing area interprets the organisation strategy for them and then the um, risk area etc 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 so each time the organisational strategy is being interpreted in a slightly different way and so we're losing the focus on that overall um, we're just we're we're losing our focus in terms of the organisational alignment so if you're thinking about that from an, from a, an overall strategic perspective or an OKR okay, perspective, we're slightly misaligned each time. And so if you're trying to, and, and, and this, I can't remember who said that each day, you know, every day we're coming to work to try to kind of align from a purpose point of view, and we're trying to understand what we're supposed to be doing each time, and we, we're forgetting what we're supposed to be doing. It's, it becomes quite difficult if you're misalignment. If you're misaligned in terms of what the strategic intent and your role in um, contributing to the strategy is, and I think that's where I th- um, the, the misalignment for me comes in, in tra- major transformations.
7: Yeah, for me, um, the bad. I think, I think one of the things for us is we're not transforming. Like we're not. We're you know we actually as an organisation don't really talk about agile to be honest. Like if you walk into the building, we don't just the way we are. Um, But actually one of the things I struggle with at the moment is we, because it's in the water, it's in the way we do things, it's kind of implied. A lot of it's actually not written down and the the kind of, we kind of um, forget, I think, sometimes to relearn the lessons we've learned many years ago. So we have, you know, the organisation turns over at 20%, 15, 20% every year. So we have a flush of new people coming through and we just kind of assume kind of elitist knowledge that we have that we don't actually and I kind of don't like it when we, um, as an organisation, kind of kind of take that position. I'd rather be, us be humble and co- go back to the agile principles, agile roots. Why we're we doing this? Is this a ritual really delivering what we need to do? And really kind of drive um, the questioning questioning of kind of our re- rituals and behaviours in the organisation. So that's a roundabout way of saying. Um, I'm trying to encourage us to keep challenging ourselves, because we can always get better. Um,
1: i take some questions from the audience. With respect to the the bad aspects of agility, anything you'd like to understand, or even if there's something you'd want to share as well and get a viewpoint from our panelists? So happy to open the floor if anybody would like to to ask a question. Well, we- I know, it's I'll just yell. You yell and we're <coughs> <here. laughs> um, So, interested to know with, with so many new people coming in um, and you
5: know probably younger people who've never seen anything other than Agile, um, if, does that change how people relate to, to Agile? Like, if you've never known otherwise and you've, nobody even talks about why we do the thing that we do, do people just cargo cult it and, that's, and that works fine?
7: The, the look of that i think for us um like i think of us as more of a product organization and agility and measure test learn and all those things that we do that we call agile are just part of the way we do products so when we induct people into the company we talk more about that than we do about agile it's about running a stand-up or releasing often or like all these things so we talk more about the product that we're trying to build right um and you know, we do we do induct people through we have a pretty comprehensive induction programme, we have a training programme, people sit in teams and kind of absorb those things. Uh, but we don't really have an agile fundamentals induction. Uh, so maybe that's an opportunity for us.
2: I'm sure there's a couple
0: of people on the panel who can help. <laughs> <Yeah. Hi>. uh, <laughs> no yeah. So the question was about uh, cargo culture. Yeah,
5: people coming in who, who haven't uh, who haven't learned about Agile and haven't known any other, any any different.
3: I, I think that is increasing and that in some mm. ways is <coughs> making the everyday work um, easier in that you have uh, a larger pool of knowledge. I don't think it necessarily is helping at an enterprise level or a scale level. Um, and interestingly, we have just been asked um, to consider... Uh, fundamentals course, uh, right. developing one. But I think it is, it's is—it's from the perspective of not fundamentals of agile, it's from the perspective of how does NBN work so that you can bring your knowledge to the company and then understand perhaps the way we scale or the particular quirks or the strange language or whatever so that you can bring your knowledge and translate it into being effective. And that's something that we weren't expecting to do maybe even 12
5: months ago. I can honestly say from my perspective, I haven't been through, I've worked in pretty much every environment, every, I've worked through Prince too. I've worked through Agile, Waterfall. I, I mean, I've been a project manager for in excess of 20 years, so most of my contracts have been a year or less, so I've worked at a lot of places, and I haven't done formalised Agile training, but I believe in the, the methodologies of Agile. So. I think that as long as people understand the methodologies of how Agile works and they're fairly, you know, they're open-minded to it, I think that anybody can learn that, that that way. And I honestly feel like of all the workplaces I've been in, and they cross lots of different industries, is that we do seem to still have a combination of maybe younger people coming through who are very Agile-focused, but then people with years of experience that have worked across a number of different, you know, different methodologies and that we're getting that nice, I find, that you seem to get quite a good mix. So I think that, I think it works both, it works across both ways fairly well. But who knows what it's going to be like as we progress. So if you think about some of the methodologies of the 80s and 90s and now completely showing my age, but if you think about those, we have we've moved. We have definitely moved in the
1: path, haven't we? To now, so in ten years' time, who knows where we will be at? Oh, thank you very much. Um, we're just going to move on to the second third. So we're going to hopefully talk about what's ugly. <laughs> so um, that's really anything that's a bit weird or messy, a bit sort of strange from your experience. So not the you know bright shiny polished. Scaled Agile frameworks, but the reality on the shop floor. Um, maybe if we start on the other side uh, of the panel.
7: Um, look, I think for us, uh, um, a lot of the challenges we have at the moment are scaling challenges. And you know, we're a product organisation. We've got about six hundred and fifty people in tech, just roughly about seventy squads working on stuff. Each one of those has got a product line that they're delivering every day. And when you stand back from it, you you say all the 70 products or 70 squads, 70 initiatives, whatever it might be. When you stand back from it, it's actually one product, realestate.com.au, it makes a billion dollars. So, a lot of the challenges we've got is how do you coordinate all of those squads to common outcomes that can't really be achieved in any one squad because the things that are big and impactful can't be done autonomously in, in one single squad. So, a lot of the things we're struggling with at the moment is actually. Like going back to things that are maybe um, don't sound very agile, like program management and investment boards and coordination of programs of work across multiple squads and or you know kind of I'm avoiding the PMO term because we don't want to go there, but trying to solve some of the, some of those kind of problems in an agile way is kind of, is, is the challenge that we're facing too at the moment.
2: I think the ugly that I would talk about is a similar thing in terms of scaling you know at ANZ five hundred squads across six regions, fifteen thousand people in a very short amount of time, um, you know seventy five coaches being brought in at the same time. Okay. so some some um, people being brought in from outside and some people um, being recruited internally and being really time constrained to um, bring people up to speed, um, and then also educate others, and the scale of that is things like doing QBR sessions, so quarterly business review sessions in a stadium, um, because there's no space to do QBR sessions, but also while you're doing that, then throwing, you know, doing it all digitally, um, because doing it in a stadium is not, not enough of a challenge, but um, <laughs> You know, those kind of things were all have, have also been the really great thing to um, entice people to come and be part of a really great experiment because that opportunity just to, to experiment and scale um, like that is, is from, you know, I think a once in a lifetime piece. So it really also has enabled real crea- creativity to be able to um, come to the fore in terms of that kind of scaling. So we've been able to, um, and I'm talking you know, in the past um, now, so use you know, really effective coaching canvas tools to think optimally, to, to think systemically to optimise locally. So look at what are, the, what are similar problems across the, the overall domain, because some problems are the same, and how can we look at, at the system rather than looking at things really as, as um, case by case. But um, I think they're the the things. And then the other ugly piece in a a big organisation is trying to stave off that panic at the first sign of trouble. So, you know, something that happens that enables people to revert back to old behaviours. And, you know, a Royal Commission, for example, is something that happens that has the the potential to make an an organisation think we need to actually go back to our old behaviours. And so, that's when you know some of those ugly behaviours come in.
6: And I'd like to sort of add on, I completely agree that the we know how to do at scale for a few teams, but the at scale when you have hundreds of teams is a pattern that I don't think we've done enough experimentation on. And I don't think there's a real appreciation as well on the, the journey of Agile. I mean, we, we took 15 years to, just to get teams right mm-hmm. and to experiment with what works for there. It's going to take a long time for us to experiment and actually learn what patterns work effectively at scale. Because I don't think we actually have the science to back that level of scaling, what is effective and what is not effective at that scale yet.
4: I think, um, and this might be adding to Tom's point, um, something traditional like governance, when you're at that, I guess, early stage of an agile transformation and, you know, you've got... um, teams working in an agile way coming up against you know really traditional governance forums and things like that you've got people flipping out on both sides of the fence and um, to be honest I've I've probably had more trouble from dogmatic agile coaches in in that environment than I've had from you know people within the organization uh, trying to work in a different way I think the the I guess the message there or the thing there is to you've got to learn to become as pragmatic as possible and Almost become like an agile skeptic in a lot of ways, and go, is, you know, is this the right way to work? Um, am I being dogmatic myself? You know, you gotta, it's a it's a step change, and you've got to bring people along for the journey, which is a cliche, but it's really true. So
3: a lot of those comments resonated. Um, also, unexpectedly, we've had to master the art of running events for many hundreds of people, and that wasn't something that I thought I would ever need to have in my kit bag. Um, Because comfortable with facilitation, when you've got hundreds of people, it's a different ball game again. But it's quite satisfying at the same time to see a company actually working towards common goals. So it's both the good and the ugly. Um, One thing that I'd uh, like to add to that in terms of challenge is the dependencies. So theoretically, We're all, uh, you know, we're running lots of trains and they're all independent and they can move along without reference to the rest of the organisation. But that's not our world. It it just isn't our world. It's uh, our our organisation is really quite complex, and to unpick that in a way that would follow the theory rigidly just doesn't work for us. So we work all the time at how can we be better at minimising and managing the inevitable dependencies. And this is just not from an application development point of view. It's also from a, a business prioritisation. And one of the things that we've had in our last quarterly piece of work is that taking their newfound empowerment, some of our business portfolio reps are deprioritizing pieces of work that someone else needs in order to launch their product or do something. And so that inevitable round robin of they did, they did, you know, you're know, kind of negotiating, mediating, and encouraging people to make those decisions in a more end-to-end way rather than a, a siloed way. And part of that's the system you create, and part of it is human behavior that keeps working like that.
5: What I tend to find for, uh, when we talk about uh, particularly ugly, is that a lot of the organisations I've worked across haven't, they don't necessarily have a definitive goal to be one or the other. So we seem to, we seem to find it very difficult, and I know a few people have talked about this, is that boundary between one and the other. And I've definitely seen, when I've seen the ugliest, a very siloed Perspective. So, say for instance, things are, are just upgrades and changes tend to go through, in one particular organisation I work for, tend to go through that scrum process and then if it's a whole project then it's going through waterfall and then there seems to be this blurry line between things that are considered innovative, then they take on a whole other perspective. So I find that blurred lines cause irritation between one to the other. And often, one can, needs to connect to one and we need fluidi- fluidity to carry one to the next and one to the next. And I found that being quite a particular struggle. And I think we could actually get a lot better at that. Awesome, you okay with what you
0: said, Yep, cool. Uh, yeah, we've probably got some time to field some questions on ugliness in <laughs> scaled or agility. Uh, Ashley, can I ask if a woman that has a question? I'll take that as a preference. Okay. I've had a question before, um, but not in the ugly. That's I I um, so my question was, uh, in certain companies, in certain contexts, um, like in specific projects, it, it might not always be the ideal case for an agile you know, way of doing things. Have you ever seen anybody fall into the trap of making their project work Agile where it is not intended to be? So rather than using Agile as an enabler to, you know, build the project, have you seen people trying to fit their project into the Agile methodology and thereby, you know, crashing sometimes? So I'll just repeat that to get that tiny. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, good. Cool. Okay, I'll
3: wear it. I think you're right in that within the, the framework perhaps you use, people tend to use agile meaning everything from mindset to how I'm going to work today. So, on the latter part of that, um, sometimes I see people getting a bit overexcited and wanting to use that method to something that really doesn't need it. We do a lot of pen testing, for example, of our applications to make them safe. It's a thing, you just do it. Um, On the other hand, can you have an agile mindset in the morning and a non-agile mindset in the afternoon? I I don't think you can. So how you prioritise what's important (coughs) for the company and how you (coughs) coalesce an organisation around working towards those common goals, I think you have to be one or the other. But in terms of your work habits and
1: that framework, then
7: whatever's fit for purpose, I think, is very important. And what the advice I give you is um, like where I've seen a fail is where projects or teams are not understanding of what the constraints are. Like there, with any project, there might be constraints. There might be a particular technology, maybe this thing can't be deployed every day, or maybe there's a customer and the customer wants to work in a particular way. And I think you can influence those things, but if they're not in your sphere of control, then tr- trying to pretend like they are is a recipe for disaster. So I, I just advise you to understand the, cons- the box within which y- y- you can control the process of the systems or your destiny and, and where you can't and, and the approach doesn't have to be the same for those two sides of the line.
4: I will just say something quickly. Um, I'll, I'll geek out on Kinefin for a second. Um, I think we default to the complex quadrant a little too often. Um, sometimes things are uh, more simple than we think, and sometimes things that need long discovery or test and you know test and learn um, cycles. So it's about knowing knowing where you are where you are in that I guess situation. Um, but I think some of the values are, are for me are universal. You know, getting closer to customers, um, collaborating better, and, and things like that. So um, I guess it, it echoes what Robin said. If it, if we're talking about mindset and values, I think it can apply in, in almost all situations but the way of working, yeah, is really dependent. Sorry.
0: No, you keep going to hand me that mic, Mark, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's claw ourselves out of the pit of despair and ugliness, and now spend a few minutes talking about what's good. So what's great that you've seen that um, just has to be shared? What's inspirational? Um, let's bring us all back into high note for the for the closing third.
3: So, so good for <clears throat> us is I think when we are working towards that common purpose and this is usually not incidentally and maybe not surprisingly not about saving money it's usually about reaching some outcome and our systems that we've developed so far at scale when they work well are allowing us to do that we had last year Um, a fairly significant problem with HFC. It was all through the papers, so I'm not giving any company secrets away. You may have even been affected by it yourself. So at a very strategic level, the company decided to um, pause on its rollout. And you can imagine for us, rolling out the network is seriously important. So it paused that to strategically move towards looking at customer impact and customer experience. That was a decision made at board level, at exec level, and our processes were working, and we had the translation of that strategy into changed work within weeks. And this is not because we knew how much it would all cost and we'd done the right business case. We actually didn't know what was going to solve the problem, but we were able to take that strategy and turn it into reality within a very short period of time, and so that kind of agility and responsiveness to change, when we have the, our systems working well at scale, that's the kind of benefit we get from them.
6: I'll probably, um, clap two key things that I've seen that are really good. One's going to be quite controversial, but. Uh, The first of which is uh, I've had the experience of having an absolutely amazing leader at scale. Um, Someone who came from Silicon Valley, they knew about lean startup, Uh, they knew about design thinking. They were a huge advocate in the area um, that I was in and and they really encouraged this blend between business and IT so that it was fluid. No one actually knew where anyone came from and no one really cared about it and it was just a magical outcome And, and they really led as a great servant leader and as an example Of how to lead in an agile environment and makes such a difference when you have leadership who are switched on who know actually how to do this properly Um, and the other controversial point that I'd make is uh, it really helped in that scenario for us to actually have heavy standardization to have all the coaches aligned and to actually have a heartbeat cadence where every single team across all 70 teams were actually delivering at the same pace so that we could manage dependencies it was quite a critical success factor
5: For me, um, the one that I saw that was probably, springs to mind as being the nicest, is a scale-up where a fairly large project group actually worked to scale region by region. So they maintained the same high-performing group. So they literally did one region at a time. Now that's not to say that their first was worst and their last was the best, because they had practice. But it's that the same team took the process through region by region by region so that meant there, there was quite a significant cost involved in doing that but the benefit that the organization got because it was a very significant change right across the organization so the benefit was huge so it definitely they discovered at the end that it, it far outweighed the, the cost of moving that team around so I can definitely say that was very worthwhile uh, I'm
4: going Go back to where I am at the moment, um, as for an example, and I think we've gone. Um, first of all, at, at Adaptivate, we have this little internal saying like we're making the elephant dance. Um, you know, we've taken this really risk averse, you know, massive, massive mining organisation, and you know we haven't done it single handedly. We've partnered with, with BCG, um, but. We've gone from, when we started, people would be late for a meeting and they'd go, hey, sorry I'm late, I'm being agile. You know, that was that kind of joke. Super awkward. As an agile coach sitting there in the room going, hey, yeah. Um, you know, to just the other week, um, you know, being in a room with a bunch of program managers leading quite big programs, standing in front of a wall with, with sticky notes, and they made a decision and someone said, you know what, this used to take us four weeks to make a decision like that, and we just made it in ten minutes. So. You know, you can, kind of, you can have change in, in an organisation like that, you just got to kind of stick it out and, um, yeah, like I said before, be pragmatic and, and get those wins when you can. Um,
2: I think the, the good that I've seen is one organisation I was working in that really understood the time it takes for the change to happen. And I think that's a really key point because the, time, the change happens day by day. And um, it really takes a long time and change is negotiated each day. Um, and then the, the next piece on that you know, where good really happens is um, similar to what you just said, um, where you have been talking to somebody about something for a long time and then you see that behaviour happening. And I think at scale that also, when you can see that happening with remote teams and remote um, coaches, et cetera, that's when you, when you know that um, that's really being successful. Um, so that's, that's when I've seen really good change um, happening, and that's, that's happened a lot in the, the last couple of years in my experience.
7: Yeah, maybe just lucky last, but um, I mean, if I, if I just reflect on the REA story, when I, I joined REA, I've been there almost nine years now, so I've been there quite a while. When I joined REA, it was 150 people in tech, now 650, it's 650, so a massive scaling story. And I think, um, you know, through, through that journey, the challenges changed every year, and I think it's, it's kind of rising to the challenges as the organization scales. And um, a lot of those challenges are actually not, you know, processy challenges. Like there's certainly, um, you can't agile code yourself around technology constraints and organizational structures and a bunch of other things that happen in the org. So um, there's a bunch of stuff that we did over that time that enabled that agility that wasn't agile, if you know what I mean. But just to give you an example, you know, you know, all our systems are now in the cloud. Cloud enables agility, so that's a technology tool that's enabled us to get to where we are. So maybe just to wrap that up, it's it's, it's kind of addressed the challenges as they, as they come as You scale, the approaches you apply when you've got one team are different to what you apply when you've got 10 teams are different to what you have when you have 100 teams. Thank you.
1: Um, so that comes to the end of our three act uh Um, So we're the floor up to any questions or observations that anybody would like to share for anybody on the panel. So over to the audience. I just wanted to ask the panel's panels view on the systemic issues. So I have come to a conclusion. I don't want to tell you what the conclusion is, but if you take, say, 50 organisations in Melbourne, different sizes, different sizes from, from the number of people working there, Different industries, and perhaps even different age of the organisation. And if you list the systemic problems, are they similar or dissimilar?
2: Hello, I speak for all the organisations in <laughs> 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 Melbourne. Um, uh, I would I would say that um, I think depends. There are there are certainly similarities in terms of the journey that organizations go on so in the beginning of a journey depending on where in terms of maturity levels so um you know a couple of people talked here about you know a foundational level so in organizations that I've I've um, worked in over the last 15 or so years there is a point at which people start they always start saying um I need training and um the first question is what do you need training in? And they can't really articulate that, but they know they need some knowledge. And so then there's a, there's a point where this is, there's a bit of a tango in terms of let's get some experiential learning first, and then we'll follow it up with some, um, some books to read and then some actual training on the job and then some, um, some classroom training. And then as people mature, then they're gonna meet the next challenge. And you can sort of map the journey, which is more of a learning journey as people mature, in terms of what they're they're likely to need, and for me, um, I've been thinking about this a little bit recently because I've been mapping for the next role that I'm going into what I'm kind of going to need in terms of the the things that I need to prepare. Um, and depending on where people are in in the start of the journey, you're going to need different different things. So I think there is there is a, a kind of a pattern that um, people can follow. I don't think it's the same for every organisation because there are organizational challenges that people have but I think there are some things that are the same in terms of making sure you've got people aligned from a vision point of view make sure that people are aligned to strategy make sure people understand that they come to work with a sense of purpose and lead with a sense of um, you know of, of completion etc so I think there's there's um, you know there's some similarities.
6: Let's say that um, a lot of organizations culturally they're, they're all different and neither are the same. Um, they do have similar challenges, but what is the most important challenge at that point in time is almost always very different. And so, applying cookie cutter, you know, we can apply this in, the, in every single organization in this order, is just, it's never going to work. You need to really be quite adaptable to both the culture and to the problems that the organization's having and facing into at that point in time.
3: Perhaps, so that there, there are some things which I think would be common. Um, in scaling, though, and one is addressing how the money works. Uh, Not that there's necessarily a common answer to that, but you do need to have an answer that is uh, compatible with how you're asking your teams to work. Um, And the other one I'm increasingly spending time on is how decision-making works. So in order to scale, a lot of our work has been moving that hierarchical, siloed decision making to more horizontal and spending time with our senior execs saying saying, those decisions, they're yours, those strategy decisions, so could you please make them, but those things over here step away Mm -hmm. and making sure that that decision making is clear and known otherwise people sort of dive down and dive up and that's just
0: We've got just three minutes left. So, do we have any questions from ladies in the crowd? Any curiosity? I'll wait a bit longer for a woman to ask a question. <laughs> then, any questions from anyone? <laughs> um, yeah, just
4: a follow from massive numbers of experience across the board. But the approach of scaling an organization, does it Change based on whether it's a product company and a service company? Are there any uh, significant changes you could uh, put your finger on in terms of approaching that kind of transformation? I think, sorry, do we go? I'll, I'll be quick then. I think it changes even, even between product companies. So uh, I my answer to that is yes, it changes.
5: And I can honestly say it's, it's huge. So if you imagine between, I'm at RMIT at the moment, and the previous company I was with was Red Cross Blood Services. So the level of regulation can have a huge impact on those things. Yes, definitely.
0: Any other answers? Any other questions? Go, I'm
3: curious to know about uh, scaling and learning within organisations. Uh, whether or not scaling has amplified learning in your experience, or just made it harder to learn across an organisation.
7: Yeah, I don't know it's easier or harder, but I don't I talk how we approach it, and um, obviously, when you've got a large team. follow career paths, you know what I mean, we don't have like, the developers over there and the, the, uh, we have cross-functional teams, so in order to kind of put So it has to be super quick, <laughs> I can do quick. So um, really quickly, what is because I'm working on one of the bigger transformations in Australia at the moment, what is the challenge between being prescriptive and giving the teams autonomy at scale? And so I find that quite difficult. And a lot of people have a lot of different
3: views on that. I think it's about finding the smallest number of common things that you need and using that framework, and we have this kind of jargon about freedom within the framework, the framework is as light and small as possible, so that people can work with empowerment
1: within it. Thank you. We've (laughs) run out of time. So let's leave it with uh, with Robin having the last word there. Um, Thank you very much. To, for coming to this session and for your questions, uh, I would really like to thank the panel. I just realised that we've labelled them the good, the bad, and the ugly, and really they're, they're actually the they're, they're really the bold <laughs> and the beautiful. So I would <laughs> like to say thank you very much the panel. There's another session here. If you're staying in this room,
0: otherwise move to the next room and don't. Get to tune in to the weekly reboot every Friday for Look for the weekly reboot in your podcast. Well that was our panel, the good, the bad and the ugly 10 years of scaling agility. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed listening back to them again without having to facilitate it in the room at the time. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week, 4 pm to the weekly reboot your regular Friday debrief of things we've heard and seen coming from the agile community and coming from last conference here in Melbourne and beyond.